I need you to turn in your Bibles to the John passage because I'm going to read part that's not in there. And I don't want you to accuse me of changing the Bible around. So John chapter 5, page 90, beginning with the first verse. It's a story about healing the, the, the lame man by the pool. And if you look at verse 3 there, and then it skips to verse 5. So if you go down to the bottom of the page with the uh, footnote, you'll see the part that I'm going to be reading. And scholars disagree about this. But I think the part that I'm reading helps to clarify a little better what the story is about. So listen for God's word. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, which is five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And if you're in the Bible, look down at the footnote. Waiting for the stirring of the water. For an angel of the Lord will come down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. Then we're back to verse 5. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, somebody else jumps in front of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And at once the man was made well and took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. We continue our three-part series about liminal space, our transition time from the time that we elected Reverend Amy Starr Redwine on January 6th until her beginning date on February 6th. I like to think of the liminal space kind of being like a hallway where you've come from the parking lot and you're en route to the sanctuary, to a classroom. It's kind of that middle time in between. It's a time for reflection, a time for thinking, a time for wondering about what's going to happen because you know where you came from and you're now moving to where you will be in the future. For us as a congregation, I think we're in the hallway. We know well our past, where we've been, what we've been up to, and now we stand on the threshold of a new venture with Amy and with God that will show us a new way. Today, the two passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians and John 5, I think are helpful for us to think about our future and our moving forward. The first one that I like to focus on is John 5, and for some reason it's been a passage that has intrigued me for years because I think it really is about you and me. It's not about a lame man by a pool. Seems like Jesus was in Jerusalem for a a festival of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, there was this pool called Bethsaida. And supposedly it had powers of healing. Hence the reason the passage I read to you said that an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And whoever got in the water first would be healed from whatever their disease was. 
So people are always kind of on alert already because you never know when the waters are going to be stirred. Jesus encounters a lame man sitting by the pool. He'd been sitting there 38 years. Just try to imagine that. 38 years in the same spot. And Jesus goes up to him and says, do you want to be made well? Part of the reason this passage speaks to me is because that's the question for you and me. Do we want to be made well? It's a question we've all got to answer. It's a question that can make us squirm. It's a question that can make us uneasy. But it's a question that faces every one of us. So do you? Do you want to be made well from a marriage that's just so-so? Do you want to be made well from a relationship that is life-threatening and not life-giving? Do you want to be made well from a job that is about to kill you and has ruined some family relationships? Do you want to be made well from feeling inferior around other people? Do you want to be made well from having just a church relationship with Jesus Christ to a very personal and intimate relationship with him? All of us have to face this question at some point in our lives. All of us have to deal with this. All of us have to decide if we really want to be made well. It's everybody's question. But I think the response of the lame man is interesting. Jesus asked him a question that at least for me is yes or no. Do you want to be made well? I mean, I mean, how many, I guess a maybe could be added in there. But the man did not answer Jesus. Instead, he just gave excuses. I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And when I start going down to the water, somebody jumps in front of me and they get healed and I don't. He never answered the question which I think is so reflective of you and me. We do the same thing. I don't have time. I'm preoccupied with my job. I need help. I'm not worthy. It's not worth the time, effort, and energy. We are just like the lame man with lame excuses. Excuse the pun. And the question for me is, why is that the case? Why are we willing just to live partially in life instead of embracing life fully? I think it has to do with expectations. Expectations that we don't count for much. Expectations that we are not worthy. Expectations that it's just going to take too much energy and you cannot teach an old dog new tricks, we think. And so we just simply sit by and let the world pass us by. Expectations are a critical part of our daily living. And expectations are central in our Christian faith. Expectations are a critical part of our relationship with Jesus Christ. For we have to be expecting that God's going to do something. Or else we'll never see it happen. For example, you came to worship this morning. Did you come because it was that time of day on this particular Sunday? Or did you come expecting something? If you didn't come expecting something, you're going to go home with the same. And if when the scripture lesson was read, were you expecting God to speak to you? Because if not, it was just a reading that you listened to. It seems to me that expectations allow us to let God's spirit work within us so that life can be meaningful and purposeful. 
This morning, I want to focus on the whole notion of expectations, particularly expectations about a new pastor. For all of us have expectations. Every last one of you have some, whether you've articulated them or not, all of us have notions about what Amy ought to be. I know I have expectations of pastors. Having worked with 250 pastors for 20-something years, I have high expectations, and it was drilled into me by my daddy. He told me years ago, if you're going to be a preacher, don't read your sermons and don't read your prayers. I can't get past that. For if a minister is reading everything to me, I tune out. It's all my daddy's fault. Because he thought that if he'd listened to one sermon too many, I guess that was read to him boringly, and one prayer too many that wasn't from the heart. So that's an expectation I have about pastors. In my first pastorate in Leesburg, Georgia, 13 members, Miss Sarah came to um, church one Sunday, bringing along with her this young lady for me to meet and introduced us. And it was very nice. A couple weeks later, Miss Sarah came to me. She said, huh, I'll never bring anybody else to be introduced to you. And I thought, my prayers have been answered. (laughs) Because her expectation was, if you're going to be a real preacher, you got to be married. And I need to have a wife. One of our churches was looking for a pastor a number of years ago, and I was working with their pastor nominating committee, and they were very clear that they wanted a male pastor with a female wife and 2.3 children. So I looked at them and I said, if I was looking for a call, you wouldn't even consider me? And they said, nope, we wouldn't. What are our expectations about Amy coming to First Church? Will she walk on water? Will she be a regular Joe or is it Josephine? I don't know what the female of a regular Joe is. Will she wow us? Will she preach biblical sermons? Will she visit in our homes? Will she be a good friend for us? Will she be easy to talk with? And somebody this week in the office said, I sure hope she has a good sense of humor. So we all have those kinds of expectations. In the Thanks for Listening article I wrote this week, I jokingly said, with 1,200 members, there's 2,400 different expectations of that poor woman. And that's probably on the low end of things as it is. So I want us to think a little bit more about what being a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA is all about and what we can rightfully expect from pastors in our denomination. First of all, the title. She was ordained a minister of the word and sacrament, which says very clearly that her job is to preach the word and teach the word and to administer the sacraments. We also use the terms pastor and reverend, teaching elder, all of which you'll need to figure out from Amy what she's more comfortable with in terms of a title. But secondly, in the Presbyterian church, different from other denominations, we don't have senior pastors. We don't have a hierarchy. Now, a number of you have already used that as her being our next senior pastor, and I understand that. That's kind of normal um, kind of uh, nomenclature because most of us come from a corporate world, and so who the top dog is is senior. But think about that if you're going to use the term senior pastor. Mary Kay, you just become the junior pastor. 
And I don't think she's a junior pastor by any means whatsoever. So we use the terms pastor and associate pastor in order to declare what our functions and our purpose is. We're very intentional about that because the title defines the function. You just elected elders and deacons at the beginning of this meeting, this this worship service this morning, and each of the elders and deacons have different functions and different jobs and different responsibilities. That's how we see it in the Presbyterian Church. That's the reason the 1 Corinthians passage is so instructive. If we're all a bunch of eyes, what would we be? If we're all just hands, how could we be the church? But all of us have different functions and responsibilities and jobs that we're called to do. And in doing that, we're able to be the real body of Christ. So in the Presbyterian church, we all have different functions. One's not more important than another. We're all attempting to be the body of Christ. Our book of order, I think, gives a good description of what a minister in the Presbyterian church is about. She shall be committed to teaching the faith in word and deed, hence the title, Teaching Elder. She shall support people in the discipline of their faith and struggles of daily living. She shall serve at table for the Lord's Supper and at font for baptisms to show the mysteries of God. So you see, the new pastor is not the CEO, though we've had some pastors try to be that and they just fail miserably trying to do that. The new pastor is not our buddy. The new pastor is not an MBA graduate who has the ability to run an operation like First Church Richmond. She has certain functions and certain responsibilities and incredible talents to be merged with your talents to be the real body of Christ. I also think we need to realize that Amy and her family will feel like a tsunami has hit them when they come to town Because of your hospitality and your graciousness and your kindness, they may just be overwhelmed to the point that they say, time out, I need some space. And they need to be given that. My sense is that the expectations around this place are very high. Not like our lame brother by the pool who was just going to sit there for 38 more years. And I know that Amy's expectations are high as well. And so the prayer is that the relationship of pastor and people be a solid one that is life-giving and energizing, that will honor the gifts that she brings, as well as the incredible gifts that are in this congregation, so that together as pastor and people, you can move forward into a future that God has in store for you. And in doing that, the credit and the thanks and the praise Go to God, for God's the one who has brought this relationship about, and God's the one that will sustain this relationship, and God is the one to whom all the glory and honor is to be given. Let us pray. Eternal God, thank you. Thank you for stirring us up. Thank you for us having expectations beyond our wildest possibilities, and thank you for allowing us to be realistic as we work together as pastor and people. Help us to be in prayer for this transition time so that when Amy arrives, this church as pastor and people can move forward into a future that gives praise, honor, and glory to your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.